a cold. Um, I'm a baby when I get sick. I thought for sure I had that virus that was spreading in China. Why, I don't know. I have sympathy sickness. I don't know if you guys get that too. Where all of a sudden somebody says, you know, hair lice went in and your head begins to itch immediately. So, um, but glad to, glad to be here. We're um, in this teaching called Unhurry to a Rule of Life. And last week, Nate taught on hurry, and this has come out of a book, John Mark Comer wrote this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and created some great materials on this, and we're going to try to extend this to all of you for who are interested, and would even look at your life and say, oh my gosh, um, if you looked at your life, you'd say, it's not growing in love, it's not growing in peace, it's not growing in joy, these sort of marks, and yet to... For it to do that, it just feels like a heavy load, right? More work in order for those things to happen. And so we're trying to say, gosh, what is this, what is this rich life of Jesus that is so um, foreign maybe to the life that so many of us live? And so last week we said just that hurry is just an enemy. It's an enemy to the soul. That hurry is actually an enemy to love. They're incompatible together. That hurry uh, blocks love and so we're saying, goodness, wow, how is it that we continue to live in an ever-present state of hurry? Were any of you more aware of your hurry this last week? Your annoyance with lines, your annoyance with traffic, or anyone just moving just a little bit slower in front of you? Very much so. And so today we want to take that a little bit further and kind of saying, well, what do you do? So... Uh, a lot of the teaching came out of this quote from, or this conversation with Dallas Willard, who was a Jesus follower and a teacher and a thinker, and he called hurry the great enemy of the spiritual life of our day. Like, the, one of the great enemies is hurry of the spiritual life, and said that followers of Jesus must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. So we look at the life of Jesus, which was followers, meaning, you kind of say, was Jesus... Um, did he ever, was he ever in a hurry? He definitely was busy. He definitely had a full schedule. But yet, it never comes across as hurried within the scriptures. Even in the scriptures when you would think he should be hurried, he seems to head on this sort of pace. When it's life and death sort of situations for people, Jesus is still seeming to be moving in this unhurried pace of life, this sort of walking at the speed of love. Some of these practices of this unhurried life that Jesus would live into is that he would regularly get up um, early in the mornings in order to be with his father, to spend that time in prayer. He would sometimes go overnight or extended weeks that he would walk away from the crowds in order to be with his disciples or to be alone. We read stories of Jesus actually sleeping in at times where the disciples have to wake him up as he's resting. Yeah. <laughs> There was times that Jesus would enjoy nice, long meals with his friends, with a bottle of wine, and the Passover is one of those things, right? These just deliberate meals that sitting around a table and opening a table and talking and engaging with others and having time and do, to do that. He would practice Sabbath, a, a weekly stop of the drive on a weekly basis. And he practiced simplicity. So we look at his life, we say it's, it's definitely unhurried. 
And to follow Jesus, to be followers of Jesus, to be Christians, which is based upon where Christ was the Messiah, who Jesus was, it means to live the way that Jesus lived. To adopt Jesus' lifestyle, to take on his habits and his practice, to copy his moves. And so in this life, this is what we're longing to do. So last week, Nate used this te- the text from Matthew 11, which was Jesus' extension to a hurried and worn out people. And in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, I think it's just so good to continue to read these words. Read them with me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus is making this great invitation to a hurried and anxious, even first century context. And in this text, we talk about the yoke, and so we, we, we had that picture of the yoke from last week and stuff too, of saying, hey, take this upon you. The yoke is the, the, the farming tool between two ox that would allow them to do the work together, right? And so Jesus is saying, take, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm humble and I'm gentle. My yoke, my yoke is easy. So what's so interesting about this is that Jesus doesn't offer an easy life, did you know that? <laughs> um, if, if, if I have duped you, I am so sorry. If your church before you has duped you, I am so sorry. It is nowhere in there. Jesus doesn't offer an easy life. He offers an easy yoke. And those are very, very different. Because we know it and you heard it in the testimonies today. Life is not easy, right? It's hard. And so it's not like we're going to come to Jesus and it's like, oh, uh, now Jesus can make everything easy. Well, no, it's, a, it's adopting a lifestyle. It's so different what Jesus is offering. All around the world, people are looking for an escape, a way out from under this sort of crushing weight of life at times, that it's hard, the crushing weight of the realities of life. In a broken world. But there is no escaping it. And the best that the world offers is potentially a sort of escape, a momentary escape that you can find. Or denying, inevitable, to deny that it's inescapable. But Jesus doesn't offer us an escape. He offers us something far better so John Mark Comer says in this part where it's like, what is Jesus offering us? It's not an easy life. No, it's an easy yoke. He's offering us equipment, right? He's offering us equipment. He offers his disciples a whole new way to bear the weight of our humanity at ease, by our side, tied to Jesus. This is what is offered. A whole new way to bear the weight of humanity. And there is a weight, right? To being human. The brokenness of the body, the mind, the soul, the heart, the systems, the structures, the people. And Jesus offers a new way to bear that weight of humanity. 
to bind ourselves to him, that Jesus is by our side, yoked to him. This is this extension. So what we're talking about in this, about having a yoke of Jesus and binding ourselves to Jesus and to Jesus' way, right, of sort of being a disciple, one of the terms that sort of is an ancient term for how, what this could actually look like to actually bind ourselves to Jesus, right, to begin to live into this is called a rule of life. And a rule of life is an ancient term. It was practiced in the monastics. Uh, St. Benedict in the 6th century was the one who actually was the first to document a rule of life. And this might sound really foreign to our ears. It's not rules for life, and many people have written about that. But, it, but it's, a, it's a rule of life. And he offers us, we're talking about this rule of life that we can achieve an inner peace when our schedule is aligned with our values. And a rule, um, a rule is a schedule and a set of practices to order your life around the way of Jesus in community. And that's why how John Mark Comer sort of adapts, and I think it's a good definition for that. It's a way to live into what really matters, what Jesus calls abiding. So the rule of life is a, is a schedule, it's a set of practices in which we can order our life around the way of Jesus in community. This is what the monastics practice, this is what St. Patrick's practice, this is what the Benedict practice, this is what people are practicing today, saying, hey, what are the structures and frameworks we can order our life in order to live into the way of Jesus? As we read earlier, Jesus had a way in which he lived, and his disciples went with him. And so we want to live into that way. And so we have to decide, oh, how, do we, how do we do that? What does that look like tangibly right now? This way of life that really matters and living into the things that matter, this is what Jesus calls abiding. So John 15, verses 1 to 8. Uh, This is in Jesus before his death. Uh, This is where it comes into the book of John. It's within the last few days, remainder of his time on earth, and he is in this upper room discourse with his disciples, and he's sharing final words with them. So this is incredibly significant teachings in the book of John where Jesus is going to spend only a brief few more moments with those who he was so intimate with and he loved and he was kind of wanting to share huge essential truths about living, about what mattered. And so this is where we find this text here in John 15. And in verse 1 it says this. Jesus is describing himself saying, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish should be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now again, this text, it's this beautiful analogy of the vine, the vine dresser, and branches, and fruit, but the overwhelming sort of invitation is to abide, 
to remain this sort of practice of saying, hey, here's where life is found, here's where fruit is found, here's where flourishings are found, but it's only found if you abide, if you remain, if you stay connected to Jesus, connected to the vine, and it will nourish you and give you life. If we make our home in God and find that God's making his home in us, that is the great mystery of the life of God and the Trinitarian love of God where God says, oh, my home is in you and you are in me. We're included into God and God is in us. Again and again, it's about abiding so that your life can be fruitful. The kind of fruit that John goes on to describe is love, joy, and peace within this text. That we would flourish in these, we would grow in these. If you had to assess yourself over the last month. Are you, are you growing in love? Joy? Peace? How about the last year? We could get a little, little bigger time. Is love being cultivated? Has the year been one where joy has come to the, life, to the surface of your life? A peace, wellness, shalom, well-being, regardless of the circumstances. What Jesus is saying is saying, that, hey, this, is, this is how we get to this life, is to these practices of abiding, of remaining. It's interesting for this idea of, of a rule of life connecting it to John 15, because Jesus used this analogy of vine and branches, and the Greek word that many believe that, that um, has come from a rule of life, the word that is used for that is the word that is in trellis. You know, a, a tool that is placed within vineyards in order for the vines to have a structure to place themselves upon in order to be able to be healthy and to have space and to have light within them. A, a structure in order to support the vine so it can produce healthy grapes. And so in the same way, what kind of structures do we need to have in our lives that order, in order to allow us to produce healthy humans that produce this fruit that God has said was, was evident if we were abiding. What kind of structures do we have that allow us to abide? I think that, sh that structure is a beautiful one. These are, these are not real grapes or grapevines. That is a Michael's purchase right there. But you can see, right, even, even wild grapes will look for a trellis of some kind in order to have a structure to be able to live. They will wrap around rocks, they will go up trees, and if they don't have it, their life is hindered. And the majority of the fruit dies before it, it gives any kind of substance to anything. And so I, I don't think we're overdoing this analogy here. When Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the vine, you're, you're the branches, Right? And if you abide in me, if you remain in this vine, you're going to bear fruit. And so what we're talking about is a structure to our, our, all of our life so that we have this sense that we're remaining with God the whole time. Right? God in our everything. And, and if you were here last week, you just know how hard that is. I'd probably even have, have how hard it is to feel like you're even having God here, right? From the distractions of our minds and what we're thinking about or the daydreaming for these moments where we would say, ah, oh, we're one with God. 
What a trellis is to a vine, a rule of life is to abiding. It's a structure. And in this case, it's a schedule and a set of practices that set up abiding is the central pursuit of our life. So a vine without a trellis will die or wither. And our life with Jesus without a trellis, some structures to facilitate health and growth will wither away. And so maybe that's been the case in your life, right? Where it's like we have these ideas about Jesus and we, have, we know these truths about Jesus. But when we think about a life connected to Jesus, abiding and rich in intimacy and love, we're kind of like, you might say, uh, I've never experienced that. And one of the things can be is there can be a lack of these structures that put us even in a place for where God's grace is already working for us to encounter God and be shaped and formed and grown and met into. And so a rule of life is just trying to add a structure, a self-imposed structure. No one is putting this up on anyone that you create yourself. Looking at your own values, looking at the life of Jesus, looking at the things of your community. It's simply a rhythm of practices that empowers us to live well and grow more like Jesus by helping us experience God in everything. Though the word rule may sound harsh and confining, in sort of a paradoxical kind of way, that the rule is incredibly, a rule of life is incredibly freeing because it allows us to live according to what we truly believe in and what truly matters. The purpose of a rule is not to be harsh or confining, but it's to cultivate fruit. It's not to achieve balance. For so often, the balance is just not, not a reality. But it's to achieve life with Christ at the center of all we do. And that's a part of a rule. If you look at Jesus, you can see that he had a rule, a way in which he lived and he functioned. And and, and in our time, we have to figure out how do we recreate structures and plans and values that we, can, that we can add meat to, that we can begin to live into. Another person who had a rule of life, if you're looking in the scriptures, was Daniel. Uh, Daniel was in, it, it was around the years of what, eight, or 586 is when the book of Daniel opens up, B.C. And in the land of Judah, it was besieged by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and they captured everyone in that area, anybody who was prominent or intelligent or they thought that would help a Babylon flourish. They took them, they enslaved them into Babylon and threw them into all their own structures, into their own schools, into homes as slaves, into servants in order to serve the needs and the wants of this um, city of Babylon. And Daniel was one of those who was pulled into this. And he was pulled into all sorts of things of Babylon, and so many of them were contrary to his things of God. I mean, he was being taught things of magic and sorcery and dark arts. I mean, there's no telling all the different things in the schools that he was learning that are contrary to what he had believed and was raised upon. He was in a time of exile, so his season was not good or even favorable for him. But yet he flourished, and he grew, and his wisdom benefited all of the people. And there was a time, even uh, uh, in in this time of Babylon, you can read this in the book of Daniel, where uh, Daniel was being hated because of the wisdom that he was sharing and the way that his life was shining and flourishing within exile, that 
some men had convinced the king to pass this edict that made prayer illegal, that you could only pray to the king. This was the kind of thinking that was going on with so many. Oh, no, king, you're, you're the only one that we should be praying to because you're a god, you're amazing, you're the best. How about you pass an edict that we can only pray to you for 30 days? And the king's like, oh, that sounds like a fabulous idea. But yet, Daniel had a rule. And here was this rule of life found in Daniel 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, a decree to, you can't pray, but yet to the king, he went home to his upstairs room with the windows open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. I don't know all was a part of Daniel's rule, but he had this rule. As he's in this place, he's going to remember God and give thanks. And every day he would go on his knees. He wasn't going on his knees because the king said, you can't, right? He wasn't trying to prove a point. He wasn't trying to be like, oh, you're going to tell me what I can't do. Now I'm going to do it. No, this was his rule. This was how he lived. This was the structure of his life that continued to allow his heart to be attuned to the father. And if you know the story, the king throws him into the den of lions and he is spared not harmed for a moment, and angels came and visited him in that time. But he had a rule. And his rule shaped his decisions and his actions and his response to circumstances. So here's the reality. Every person has a rule of life. You, you have one already. You just may not have written it down. And you may not be assessing it to know whether or not it's working or not. Whether or not you'd say, oh, we're flourishing or we're abiding, we're connected to God and to each other. And we're, we're connected in the, in the world in a way in order to contribute for God's good toward it. Every thoughtful person has a pattern of practices or habits. A rhythm of how she, he or she lives. And even if you've never put it to words... So think about your rule right now that you live by. What's a part of it? What are part of your patterns and practices that communicate your values? Some of those things would be for those of you who are like, wow, we, we eat at a table where everybody sits at a table and eats together. Right? That's, that's a part of a rule. For some, you'd say, oh, I, I exercise. You know, regular, this, is a, this is a rule. I mean, God has given us a body. He told us to worship him with our bodies. Others do things in their minds where they're, they're allowing their minds to be transformed through meditation or through mindfulness or reading the scriptures through prayer. Right? It's a part of their rule, daily practices and patterns. Others have rules of walking their dog each day as a way and just kind of thinking through life and their day. Others have rules of date nights with spouses in order to value that relationship. Some have rules, and the foster guy, you guys have a rule of like climbing and being in this community of climbers and being connected as a family and these things together. It's a part of their rule, and it communicates to the values that they have. And God is in it. Nothing is outside of God. So what, what are the ones that you have in your life? And the challenge as we look at these rules of life, I mean, and we're going to encourage you to write, write out your rule of life, to assess it, to assess if it's working or not, to assess minor shifts and adjustments in it, 
Because believe me, we can only make minor shifts to be really slow in this. We say, is it working? Is there an abiding? Is there a connection to God through patterns and practices and habits? Is there a connection to the people you love in this world through patterns and practices and habits? Is there a connection to the hurting in the world through patterns and practices and habits? For us, we have shaped, or for us, when we talk about the way of Jesus, we use the shape of the triangle, right? For many of us who know the, the three-sided uh, shape that we say that the, the three points of the triangle that match the life of Jesus is the up component of, of Jesus' life, which was um, the value of connecting with the Father and receiving identity from the Father, an in component, which is connecting in rich, deeper relationships, your family, your friends, those whom you love, and an outward component that's connecting in this world and our work and investing in different ways. And a rule of life could just take those three points and say, hey, what are practices and patterns and habits that would just allow those to be seen, to be lived out, that are tangible in our daily lives, in our weekly lives, in a monthly or seasonal rhythm? This is what we want to continue to encourage you to do. We want you to apply a rule to your whole person. John Mark Comer uses life categories in order to help us to think about different kinds of practices and patterns that would be good for us. And he, he puts up these seven different sort of categories, and one of them is abiding, right? Because it's central to what we're talking about, being connected to Jesus, abiding in Jesus. And what are those practices that allow us to be at home with Jesus, to be connected to Jesus, to remain in the vine? For many, it's it's worship and maybe silence, sacred reading of scriptures and the practice of Sabbath, right? I mean, uh, what are the life, there's the life categories of the mind and how your mind could, these practices that would develop it and bring healing and wholeness to your mind. As in Romans 12 says, it says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what are those practices that continue to reshape your mind? And your body could be a category of just saying, ah, I need uh, exercise or maybe getting eight hours of sleep or eating real food. In the life category for relationships, what were the things you would put for relationships in there? For all of us, it would be different when we're in different stages of life. If you're married, if you're, if you're single, I know for a single friends, and when we talk, it's like they, they value relationships so much and space, and it's needed, right? And I know that the, when I think about the, the groups, I think about Melinda, your group with Jenny and, and Sandy, and right, and all these together. And as far as you eat together, because it's the value of community and being together and loving each other and having your eyes on other people. There's the category of rest. What does rest look like in your world? Is there a Sabbath, 24 hours where you don't work? How about work and money or the gospel and hospitality? All these are categories. And if you were kind of like, oh, goodness, man, I don't have any of these. I need to put three things of each of them. It's overwhelming. I was reading in somebody's book, they said, hey, if your plan coming out of this is going to say, you know what, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning at 4 a.m., 
I'm going to read the scriptures and pray for an hour. I'm going to go to the gym and run seven miles and do that, that workout. I'm going to come back eat a nutritious breakfast. I'm going to kiss the, my dog or kids or wife or neighbor. And I'm going to make it to work. And I'm going to work, for, for, you know, in a good way, and at the end of my day, I'm going to come home, and I'm going to invest in the family, and we're going to do these things. It's like, yeah, no, more than likely, you're going to be dead tired. You're going to be late to work the next day, right? It's like, we can't do it. And so we have to start small. I want to give you seven or eight simple sort of steps into this. And so the first one is this, start simply. Begin by adding a small practice that will help you become more aware of God. So what would that practice be? Start real small. What could be a simple practice that can make you be more aware of God? And for some, it could be even just saying, you know what, I wake up for the first even couple minutes, I'm not going to look at my phone. At the first thing I wake up, I was, I was listening to some of these teachings, and they say, for those of us who have our phone as our alarm, it can create this terrible habit of it waking us up, we turn it off, and we immediately begin to look at it. Instead of having an alarm clock, right? Get an alarm clock, and maybe even a small practice could be two minutes of just breathing and thanking God. Just being silent. Being grateful, right, as you arrive, moving our minds to God, not to news or Instagram or to our calendar, or to the messages, or whatever we might go to right there in the first moments of our breathing. Something really small that could connect you to God. Maybe it's even reading a psalm or a prayer. Maybe at the end of the day, it's reflection. But start, start simply. Two, build slowly. Look back. There's a lot of core practices. For those of you who can be interested in this, we're going to send out um, a guide for this to you. And I actually have some here today for those of you who want one. And there's practices that are put in there. And the question would be, is there's, is there's build slowly, it'd be like, what kind of practices, which one gets your attention? What would be the most fruitful for you to begin with? We even mentioned these seven kind of spots in here that are life categories. Which of them gets your attention? If you're in a small group and you're going through this, that's one of the questions. Which one stands out to you that would be the most beneficial if you actually did something with just one of them? And so build slowly. Number three, prune regularly. I, I wrote a rule um, two years ago. And my challenge is that I don't prune and I don't look back at it. And so it doesn't, it doesn't create a great structure then for you to be able to assess and say, is this working? It's meant to work for us. It's meant to help us. It's not it's a task to say, I have it, but I don't live by it. And so prune regularly. The part is not to continue to add, but is to, you know, you have to take away. You have to say no. You have to cut things out. And that can be really hard. I think the only thing we're allowed to tell you that you cannot cut out is working in the garden. <laughs> Everything else you can cut. We're half joking. But prune regularly. Number four, be energy conscious. For some of you, you have more energy at certain times of the day. For me, I have way more energy in the morning. And come 8 o'clock, I'm done. I have, I, my energy is pathetic after 8 on. And so you guys might be the same way, or you might be the opposite in saying, when it gets to 9, my energy ramps. 
And so be conscious of your energy and, and plan for that accordingly. Other one, uh, for this, consider your stage of life. Young kids, retired, single, in school, work, right? Consider that as you're making this rule. Number six, stay flexible. This is a rule that bends. We don't exist for the rule. The rule exists for us in order to help us to experience growth. Number seven, make time for fun. And the eighth one is that to include community. That means we, I think we're meant to live into this rule of life in community. That could be with your family and an extended family of people to talk about this with others. Hear what they're doing. Hear the practice. Hear what's working. Hear what's not working. Hear what continues to be just aspirational. If it's just aspirational, it's not working, then cut that one out and scale back. Find something that will actually show up in the calendar sometime or another that you'll actually do. But we want to encourage you to live into this. We want to encourage you to engage in a conversation that would extend in this so that we could begin to build a structure and a trellis for our lives. Today, I have, um, thank you, Tom, so much. We're going to uh, make a digital version of this available, but this is developing a personal rule. It's not something you do in an hour or a night. It's meant to be done over a few months. It's meant to be sort of reflective and slow and in this, and it kind of just walks through one way of creating a rule. And if you're kind of like, ah, I, I would love to do this. I'd love to do this with others. I would love to do this with some friends. I would love just to look into these things and have some time just to assess and to move into them. This will be a helpful tool. I got 50 of them printed off um, right here today, and we'll send out a digital copy either on our Instagram or Facebook and all the places that we can if you receive those and you'd like to receive one of those. We'll continue to give these out over the next uh, six weeks because from this point on, we're going to begin talking about different kinds of practices, practices that would allow us to slow down, practices that would work as a trellis in order for us to build upon and going to give us this time and this space to, to think about this and to pray about this and to discern this and that we can create a structure, a trellis for our life where then the intended result would happen that we would bear fruit of love and of joy and of peace. So let's pray. Well, Father, we know that you long for us to connect with you deeply and richly and intimately. That you pursue us in your goodness. You took on flesh yourself and you lived the life that was bound by time and schedules. And yet you lived it beautifully, letting love drive it all on your spirit, drive it. And so, Lord, may we find a way to bind ourselves to you, to your easy yoke to your way of life, to your patterns and practices, out of rich love for you, God. So, Father, would you bring to mind even a place that, uh, something before our good, that, that you, God, would delight in us stepping towards to connect with you. Not out of duty, not out of fear or obligation, but something that you would say to us saying, I would love it 
to have time with you in this way. And so, Father, speak that over your children. May we hear it and say yes to that invitation. God, for anyone who this feels like a weight and a burden, God, come near. Let them ponder it more for your invitation for a life that aligns to the things that they really care about. Would you give mental space and friends for this journey, God, to engage in this energy for this so that we may not be stuck in the same ruts of living. So God, by your grace, by your wind, blow us out of the rut that that we were stuck in a pattern that isn't really life, that um, seems to be just getting by. So Father, help. Thank you, God, for your love and inviting us into your life. Now you're saying to come with you, that you have given us this invitation to put your yoke on. May we hear it again today. Come with me. Come with me. Connect to me. Bind yourself to me. I'll bind myself to you. May we feel the warmth of your nearness in your strength as you bear the weight of it all. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.